Kings chapter 14. That's in the Old Testament. Um, in the Bible. First Kings chapter 14. As you're turning there in April, we're going to do a kind of a mini-series on the return of Jesus, the judgment, I want to heaven pray other people and hell. Pray with you so for the month of April, Maybe we're going to do a series on the return of Jesus for one Sunday, the judgment for believers and non-believers. Let's do that. And one Sunday we'll do a message on heaven. One Sunday we'll do a message on Lord, we're not hell. So for those of you who skipped the sermon on hell, but anyway, we encourage you to come to all of them. It'll just be a great time to just really discuss and these very important things. Now, Father, let us as you're turning, so I want to give a big uh, thank you to Paul and Catherine who did worship today and last Sunday, and we really appreciate them. They did a fantastic job every week, and do a great job. And I can imagine how hard it would be to do that and worship to them, but they do a fantastic job. So we're so blessed to have them. First Kings chapter 14. The title of the message today is "Protect the Blessing." Protect the blessing. Once you have turned to 1 Kings chapter 14, if you would stand as we read God's word together. 1 Kings chapter 14. This is a very sad passage, but this is what scripture says. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. The Bible says, In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, the king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem, or to attack Jerusalem. He took away, the king Rehoboam, took away the treasures of the house of the Lord in the temple, the treasures of the king's house, of his own palace, he took everything away. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made, and King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze, and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the, God, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your word today with joy. Lord, that they would be planted in our heart to produce fruit for you, that we'd be shaped and molded into your image. Lord, we're nothing without you. We give this day to you. We give this message to you. May you anoint these lips of clay and flesh, that they would be your words and not mine. We love you and we thank you. We're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I uh, don't know how many of you know much about Fort Knox in Kentucky. Um, there's not a lot really to know because they keep it under lock and key. But Fort Knox is where traditionally the gold of the United States Treasury is hidden. Now there's conspiracy theories that maybe they moved it out, I don't know. But nonetheless, the, in Fort Knox, the entire gold of, uh, of the United States Treasury, uh, most of it anyway, traditionally, has been housed at this one fort. Um, it is so heavily guarded that you can't even, driving by on the interstate, they don't allow you to take pictures, or at least you're not supposed to. Uh, there's signs everywhere, there's barbed wire fences. I mean, it's harder to get in there, I would say, than maybe even the White House of the United States. It's harder to get, perhaps, into Fort Knox than it is to get into any other military base, any other secret place in the United States. They keep it so guarded because they understand the value of what is inside. It is not like any other military base. It is not like any other piece of real estate in this nation. 
that Fort Knox is, is in a sense sacred ground, not in a spiritual sense, but in an economical sense, because that is where the economy of the United States, to a large degree, is held and kept. It is so guarded and so protected that, uh, as a citizen, that you would be shot and killed on the spot for trying to enter in and, and steal the gold. They understand the value of what is inside. Otherwise, it's just like any other military base. It's just like any other real estate on the nation, except what sets it apart is the value of the treasure on the inside. King Rehoboam, who is a grandson of King David and son of Solomon, and he is a wicked, wicked king, as we just read about. King Rehoboam begins to reign, the scripture says, when he's about 41 years old. King Rehoboam is, is this wicked king. He takes over, he takes in charge, and one of his first acts is the neighbor to the south west of them, Egypt, which is still their neighbor today in Israel, the king of Egypt begins to march up to attack not only Jerusalem, but uh, the northern kingdom as well. So Rehoboam says, you know what? It's not worth the fight. I'll just surrender before I even begin to fight. I would rather capitulate and surrender than raise my sword, raise my shield. I would rather give up before the battle even begins. In other words, his assessment, his, his thinking is, it's not worth it. Think about this for a moment. It, the, the, we just read, and it tells us twice in these few verses, that he stripped the entire gold in God's house, which tells you, first of all, that possession, God, it wasn't his gold to give away. It wasn't King Rehoboam's gold. It wasn't his treasure. It didn't even belong to the nation of Israel. It didn't even belong to, to uh, Jerusalem. It didn't even belong to the temple. No, no, no. That was literally God's property. It wasn't his to give away. And so his thinking is, it's not mine to give away, but I don't even care about that. I will capitulate. I will surrender and give up something that doesn't belong to me for the sake of, instead of fighting, to just surrender to the enemy. I wonder how many people have that same mentality. Now, we would never admit that, of course. That's not very Christ-like. But I wonder how many people say, you know, there are certain things in life, and like the old saying, is that a hill you're willing to die on? Quite obviously for Rehoboam, this is not a hill he's willing to die on. He is not willing to die to protect the treasures that God had entrusted him as king and leader of his people. Not only does he get rid of the things that don't belong to him in God's house as if that was bad, but equally as bad, he gets rid of the things that are his, that are in his household. I want you to think about this. If in your home, your valuables, your possessions, if you have a small safe or a large safe, the valuables that you have in that safe, if you see a stranger walking down the street, and maybe they look threatening, but you've never spoke with them, so you don't know how threatening they really are in real life, but you know as a Christian that God will protect my house and God will bless me and watch over me. But nonetheless, I know those things. However, I see the stranger walking down the street. They look ominous. They look threatening. You know what? It's not worth fighting. And I'll just go ahead and just say, hey, stranger, here's the combination. I'm going to open the door for you. And in fact, I'm going to do a drive through service. I'll just give it to you. You don't have to come into my house. I will give you all of my valuables and possessions. What you're in effect is saying is the valuables that I have in my life aren't worth fighting for. They're not worth protecting. I would rather surrender because it's easier. I'd rather give up to the enemy than fight for what God has blessed me with. 
And that's exactly what Rehoboam does. Instead of fighting for what God had blessed him with, the things that were God's, not his, and the things that God had blessed him with in his own house, instead of fighting for them and, no, and saying that, no, 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 I know Scripture says that God will fight the battle for us, God is on our side, and we don't even have to fight, that God will fight the battle, he'll give us victory. Instead of praying, instead of going to God in prayer and seeking him, he just gives up. Doesn't even write to the army, doesn't even prepare for battle, he gives up. He gives things that don't belong to him to the enemy. Don't squander God's blessing in your life. King Rehoboam, if you could call him a king, didn't fully understand or appreciate the value of what he had. That's why it was so easy for him to give up. How many times in our life are there things that God has blessed us with that we didn't earn, we don't deserve, but because we don't fully appreciate them, because we don't fully realize the value of them, we just surrender. We just give up. We just let the enemy have it. It's not even worth fighting, we say. You know what? I'm tired of fighting, and I'll give up. I'll live to fight another day. And what you're giving up, what you think is something that you did earn, that you did deserve, that you got on your own. God's saying, no, 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 it was mine. I lent it to you. I loaned it to you to be a good steward. And now you're giving away the thing that I once blessed you with. Sometimes for Christians, it's not just material things, of course, but sometimes it's our joy. Sometimes that when issues and crisis and problems arise in our life, that's what we're in effect telling the enemy. We're telling the devil, you know what, this is so bad, it is so rough. And instead of doing what Paul says in Scripture, to take, don't worry about anything, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Instead of doing that, you know what, I'm just going to surrender. I'll give up. And then you have surrendered your joy to the enemy. And now the devil, we say, well, the devil stole my joy. No, he didn't. You gave it to him. He didn't even have to come in your house. You met him on the street and gave it to him. Well, you know, instead of fighting for my marriage, and instead, it's, it's too far gone. Instead of fighting for my kids, it's too far gone. I'll just surrender the flag. I just, I just can't fight anymore. Instead of going to God in prayer and seeking Him, we squander the blessing that we think we earn, that is ours, that we deserve, but in effect, no, it's God's blessing in your life. And when you understand that literally everything in your life is a blessing from God, that you didn't deserve any of it, you don't earn any of it, all of it is a blessing. And when you begin to give up your joy, when you begin to give up and say, well, the doctor said that there's no hope, or the doctor said that this is permanent, then you're in effect saying, I surrender my healing the enemy something that God had bought and paid for for my life as a blessing I'm just going to surrender I'm just going to give up in other words why was this so easy when I read this passage one of the first I have a lot of thoughts but one of the thoughts that I have immediately is why was this so easy for Rehoboam to do I mean the guy this is so pathetic the guy doesn't even fight he doesn't even call his war council together. He doesn't even call his minister of defense. He doesn't even call his generals. He just says, I'll take care of it. It's not worth fighting. Let's surrender before the battle even begins. Why? Why would he give up things that belong to God and the treasures in his own house without even a fight, without even praying about it, without even trying? You know what the answer is? Kind of like we said last week, he wasn't near the cross. He was about as far as he could be. In other words, the farther you are from God, the easier it is to surrender in battle. 
The farther you are from the cross of Jesus Christ, the farther we are from what He did for us and our love for Him and our hunger for Him and wanting revival in our life and and being uh, sanctified in our own life and being holy and being discipled in His Word, the farther we are from that, the easier it is when the enemy comes along and says, this is laughable. I mean, this is almost too easy. This is quite literally like taking candy from a baby. There's no fight here. This is a joke. This is easy picking. But the closer we are to the cross, the closer we are to Christ, I I guarantee you if Rehoboam would have done what his ancestors had done, what his grandpa did, King David, and would have been near what God did in his life, would have had a heart after God's own heart, would have been in love with the things of God, would have had a passion for God's presence like his father, like his grandfather did, I guarantee you he wouldn't have surrendered. He would have fought tooth and nail. He would have defended those things because he would have understood it's not mine, it's God's blessing in my life. The farther we are from God, the easier it is to surrender his blessings in our lives. Verse 22. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They provoked God to jealousy with their sins that they had committed more than all of their fathers had done. In other words, in all the generations, they committed more sin under King Rehoboam than any other generation in years past. Verse 23, For they also built for themselves high places, idols, pillars, and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord had drove out before the people of Israel. So think about this. What God has done has said, I will drive out all of your enemies. And Joshua, we've talked about that. I'll drive out all of your enemies. I will give you this land. And then what they do in effect is a few generations later, instead of fighting for it, they say, you know what? All the abominations that were happening in this land before God gave it to us, we're going to do that and then some more. That's how wicked they were. Again, the farther you are from God, the easier it is to surrender. And why is it so easy? Because you don't realize how good it is. You don't realize how sweet God's presence is. You don't realize the blessing that He has given you. I mean, given you. You didn't have to work for it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. God has given it to you in your hands, some things without even asking. He just loves you enough that He just wants to dump a truckload of blessing on you. And the farther we are from Him and His presence on the cross of Christ, the less that we realize and appreciate what He has done in our life. And then in effect is called cheap grace and we don't value what he's done in our life we don't value his love for us his mercy on our life how awesome he is how holy he is how he wants to bless us his favor in our life all that we have is from him and because we're so far from him we don't value that therefore the enemy comes along and says i don't have to fight you just give it to me Notice this. I mean, think about this. Scripture here does not say, in the fifth year King Rehoboam, the king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem, and the king took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. Think about this. It doesn't say that the king of Egypt came up and asked for these things. The king of Egypt didn't knock on his door and say, hey, King Rehoboam, I want these things or I'm going to attack your city. No. He's just marching through. And he comes out, King Rehoboam, and gives him all these treasures. And it's, it's a joke. His life is a joke. His kingdom is a joke. 
He didn't appreciate the value of prayer and God protecting them from foreign enemies like his great-grandson, King Jehoshaphat, in 1 Kings 22. We preached about that several months ago. But 1 Kings chapter 22, a very similar event happens where a foreign nation is coming up to attack Jerusalem. And King Jeroboam goes before the Lord. King Jehoshaphat goes before God and prays and seeks God. And God says, get ready for battle, but you're not going to have to fight. I will fight the battle for you. And God does, and God gives him victory. You cannot draw a more contrast between these two men. One is a man that says, I don't even want to fight for it. I don't appreciate it. It's not mine. I'll surrender it nilly-willy. I'll surrender it without even a fight. The other says, God, how are you going to deliver us? God, I'm seeking you in prayer. I'm calling out to you. I'm calling a fast in my life. People often will say sometimes, well, the grass is greener on the other side. Really, those people don't appreciate the priceless treasure in front of them. I heard a, a pastor a few weeks ago say that if the grass is greener on the other side, that's typically because the septic tank is on the other side of the fence, and that's where green grass grows. So be careful sometimes when we think the grass is greener on the other side. And when we think that the grass is greener on the other side, really we don't appreciate what we have in front of us. And I'm not saying appreciate the car that you have or the house that you have, most certainly. I'm talking about the joy that Christ gave you when you become a Christian. I'm talking about the peace that passes understanding that when we give our life to Christ. I'm talking about the, the hope that we have that He will return one day and take us to Him. I'm talking about the forgiveness of sins that He has given in our life. I'm talking about His blessing and His favor in every moment and every day of our life. We begin to think, well, it's better over there. Well, it's easier over there. And the more you think that, the further you get from the cross, the easier it is to surrender those things without even a fight. Some of us today are trying to fix and solve the problems in our life by our own devices, our own plans, our own efforts without seeking God's help. That's exactly what Rehoboam does. He's trying to fix a problem in his life. He doesn't even know that it's going to be a problem. Because again, the king of Egypt didn't say, I'm going to attack you unless you give me money. No, he just gives it to him. Some of you are trying to fight battles in your own life without seeking God in prayer. And you wonder why you're discouraged. You wonder why you live defeat after defeat after defeat. That is why. That is the answer. You're fighting it on your own scheme, on your own devices. Financial crisis, well, i got to get another job. Well, I better take another loan out. Well, we better sell some stocks. Uh, problem in our marriage. Well, we better, uh, might as well just go ahead and split up. Well, problems in our kids' life. Well, they're hopeless. We try to do all that we could do. And you're fighting and surrendering instead of going to God in prayer. And you're giving up before the battle even begins. You don't even give God a chance to fight for you. That's what Rehoboam does. That's what's so pathetic and so sad about this. Rehoboam isn't even giving God a chance to have a say in the matter. Instead of coming before him and God, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to give up your stuff or do you want us to fight for it? Are you going to fight for it? God, what is your direction? And instead of doing that, he doesn't even give God a say in the matter. He tries to decide for God. And that's exactly what you do. That's exactly what I do when we try to solve the problems of life on our own turf, on our own devices, by our own schemes, not even giving God a chance, and you wonder why you'll lose every time. In other words, when problems and crisis come, do you compromise and surrender, or do you confront in prayer? When problems and crisis come in your life or in your family's life, 
do you compromise and just surrender your joy, surrender your healing, surrender God's love, surrender God's peace, surrender God's forgiveness, and so on? Do you just surrender and compromise? Or do you confront in prayer? No, 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 devil. I'm not giving this up without a fight. So you're going to have to bring it on because I will not give up. I will not capitulate. I will not surrender. I'm going to fight. What's the best way to fight? Not by my own turf, not by my own schemes, not by my own plans, but by getting on my face before God and crying out to him, God, do you see this? God, you've got to solve this. God, this is a crisis. And Lord, I need your help. The only victory, God, will come through you intervening in this situation. That's what Rehoboam should have done. That's what King Jehoshaphat did do in 1 Kings 22. Do you compromise or do you confront through prayer? You know what Paul says in the New Testament? That our battles are not against flesh and blood. Jehoshaphat thought that. Or, or I'm sorry, Rehoboam thought that my battle is against the king of Egypt. What he didn't know, or what he didn't realize rather, is that the battle is not against flesh and blood as Paul says, but against principalities and darkness and evil things of the enemy that we cannot see. You're not fighting the coworker. You're not fighting your spouse. You're not fighting your kids. You're not fighting your paycheck. You're not fighting your career. You're not fighting your health or the doctors. You are fighting an unseen enemy that wants to utterly destroy you and take away all the treasure that God has blessed you with. He wants to wipe you off the face of the earth. He hates your every existence. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill your family. Jesus Jesus said in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Wipe off as if you never existed. It's not enough for the enemy just to steal from your life. He wants to wipe off your entire family. He hates everything about you. Rehoboam, instead of realizing that and realizing this is something bigger than me, that the only way to fight, like Jesus said with the disciples when he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. There's a man there that his son, the, di the disciples, couldn't cast out a demon. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, how could you cast the demon out and we can't? And Jesus says, this comes only through prayer and fasting. In other words, guys, you can say the rosary. You can say Hail Mary. You can say all these things five times really fast. It's not going to do a hill of beans. Instead, you've got to pray. That's the solution. That's where the battle is. It's not against the person in front of you. It's not the paycheck. It's not the spouse. It is in principalities and darkness that you cannot see. The only way to fix it is prayer. Do you compromise or confront through prayer? Do not squander God's blessing in your life. He loves you too much to give it up. He's blessed you too much to squander it. You have to understand that the blessing is irreplaceable. God's blessing in your life is irreplaceable. And unfortunately, this is a king, this is a story that uh, Rehoboam didn't understand. And unfortunately, I don't think he ever really understood. Because notice again what it says. In verse 26, he took away all the treasures of the house of the Lord. So he robbed God, literally. He took the treasures of the king's house. He robbed himself. He took away everything. It tells us that two different times. He also took away, look at this, all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze. Think about that. He doesn't take gold for gold. He takes gold for bronze absolutely pathetic absolutely inexcusable I mean, this is just ridiculous this is absurd you're robbing yourself and instead of paying it back you replace it with something that is far less far less of value 
He didn't understand that God's blessing in his life was irreplaceable. What he thought was, I'll rob myself, like the doofus that he was, I'll rob God, and instead of praying for that blessing to come back, I'll just replace it myself. Yeah, but it's, it's brought, you had gold. Help me understand your logic, Rehoboam. You had gold, you literally gave it away without fight, and you're going to replace it with bronze, and to you, that's okay? I mean, what, what are you... What are you thinking? This is crazy. He didn't understand that it wasn't his blessing. It wasn't his gold. It was the Lord's. You have to understand it's not your spouse. It's the woman. It's the man that God gave you. You have to understand they're not your kids. It's the children that God has blessed you with. You have to understand it's not your house. It's the home that God has blessed you with. You have to understand it's not your job or your career. It's the, the thing that God has blessed you with and gave you talents and gifts and ability to fulfill. Understand that the things in your life, the gold in your life, whatever they are in your life, the gold things in your life are irreplaceable. And that's what the enemy does, isn't it? He tries to get our warped thinking because, again, it's easy. Like we said last week, the further we are from the cross, the easier it is for him to pervert and twist and warp our mind to understanding that, well, I can give away the treasures that God gave me. I can give away God's blessing. And really, you can't because that's God's, not yours. I can give it away and, and I'll fix it on my own. I'll replace it with something else. Oh yeah, you could replace it with something else, but it's far less superior. You'll be much worse off. When you understand this, that the blessing is irreplaceable, it goes from being, that's my old woman, that's my, the old man, which you should never call your spouse that, to understanding what Ephesians 5 says, that Men, love your wives as Christ died for us. Irreplaceable. We can't replace what Jesus did for us, can we? No. God's love for us, Jesus' love for you and for me, the bride, is irreplaceable. Men, the love that you should have for your wife should be irreplaceable. He goes on and says, wives, submit to your husbands. We don't mean, you know, make us fried chicken. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, have that similar love irreplaceable love we can't find anywhere else and when you understand that the blessing in your life is irreplaceable you should never have the mindset of the grass is greener on the other side because you'll realize it can't get any greener than it is right under my own feet I've got it as good as anybody else I've got it better because I realize what I have I realize the blessing that I have I can honestly say and not to brag or anything but that truly and I don't say this as a pastor because I'm speaking this morning but I sincerely love my wife 10 times more today than I did 10 years ago when we got married. I really do. I have learned uh, in 10 years to love her and appreciate her and respect her in ways that I didn't 10 years ago. I have learned to, to, to value certain things that I wouldn't have seen years ago. So it is in my relationship with God. So it is the things that God has blessed me with that I understand this isn't mine, but now I realize, Lord, it's yours. I have a whole different level of love and respect for it because it's not mine, it's yours. The question I want to ask you is, what are you doing with the gold that God has deposited into your life? Because you understand every Christian, every person that says, I follow Jesus, my sins are forgiven, if that's you, then understand God has deposited gold, figuratively speaking, in your life. His blessing, His favor, His peace, His healing, His love, His joy. God has given you blessing upon blessing upon blessing. My question to you, really Scripture's question to you is, what are you doing with it? Are you guarding that gold with your life? 
Are you guarding that gold through prayer? You know, I don't just pray for my wife whenever we have problems. God changed her heart. Boy, she's really messed up this time. No. I pray for my wife every day so that when problems come, I've already been praying. I've already been seeking God. I'm already in that mode. Could you imagine if, if we did not have a standing military in the United States and we were attacked and then, well, now we've got to get the military trained. It's going to be two or three years before we can counterpunch. That's ludicrous. So it is with many Christians. We have no prayer life for months and months and months, maybe even years. A crisis hits, and then we try to, to call on God. Then we try to seek God's blessing. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's too little too late. What are you doing with the gold, with the blessing, with the favor that God has placed in your life? Are you guarding that, or are you squandering that? That relationship that God gave you with your spouse, are you guarding that with prayer every day? Or did you maybe a few months ago or years ago trade the gold of that relationship for bronze? The job that God gave you, that God's blessed you with, are you guarding that with gold? Are you guarding that with prayer? Or did you squander it? Your children, that God blessed you with, instead of saying, I wish you were like so-and-so, I wish you were better, I wish you were smarter, I wish you were like your brother, I wish you were like your sister, things that parents should never say to their kids. You know what you're doing? Every time you say those things or think those things, you're squandering the gold that God blessed you with in that child's life and replacing it with bronze. Every time. Are you guarding the gold that God gave you with prayer? That's the only way to guard it. Or are you squandering it? And additionally, as you're thinking on that, what are you depositing in those around you? Because as a Christian, we as disciples of Christ have the obligation to make deposits in other people's lives. What we mean is not just when you walk in a room, you make it brighter or worse. No, no, no. Everybody can do that, Christian or non-Christian. What we're saying is, men of God, as the man of your home, as the priest of your home, are you depositing, and I want you to think of from, from this moment on in your life, when you look at your spouse, when you look at your kids, when you look at your home, when you look at your vehicle, when you look at your job, when you look at your health and God's peace and love and joy in your life, when you see these things, I want you to imagine little Fort Knoxes everywhere. So you don't just see your spouse, you see a Fort Knox. There's gold there that God gave me. Are you depositing, making deposits of gold in there? Or are you constantly withdrawing and replacing it with silver or with bronze? Are you guarding that relationship? Are you making positive deposits in those people's lives that God blessed you with? Or are you constantly replacing it with bronze? And before you know it, you'll wake up one day, your marriage will be over, your career may be over, your health may be in shambles and so on, and that's when you want to blame God and get mad, and God's saying, no, 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 because year after year and day after day, you kept getting further and drifting further from the cross, and all the enemy has to do is show up, doesn't even have to ask, and you just give it to him. So it's a little too late. Instead of guarding that deposit that I gave you, you squandered it. Instead of making more deposits, you squandered it. You withdrew everything and replaced it with bronze. It doesn't even seem to bother Rehoboam, which is so crazy. It doesn't even seem to bother him that he'll fight to get it back. He just, well, bronze is good enough. You now, as the Christian, only what God gives us is good enough, nothing else. Third and lastly, guard the blessing. And we've been talking about that. You say, well, how to do that? Well, in 2 Timothy, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll read it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 
2 Timothy chapter 1, this is the last letter that Paul, the follower of Jesus, ever writes. He's about to be executed in about a year or so from now. His head will be chopped off by uh, Nero. He writes this to his young mentor and the pastor of the church at Ephesus, a guy named Timothy who had been with Paul uh, for many, many years. 1 Timothy, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Towards the end of that verse, he says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Boy, that's good. That's powerful. And I am convinced that he is able to guard, there's that word again, until the day, meaning the resurrection, that he has entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound doctrine that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And look at this, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, here's the word again, guard the good, what? Deposit entrusted to you. Powerful stuff. Last words we have from Paul. He could have said anything. Well, I had a great ministry career. I started a lot of churches. I was famous. I was on the cover of a magazine. All these great things that I did. I wrote a lot of letters that are famous. People are going to think I'm a great theologian. No. He says, Timothy, if I have one piece of advice to you, you're just starting in your ministry career and your walk with Christ. You're just starting, and I am ending. I'm about to die at any moment. My one advice, Timothy, you guard with your life the deposit that Jesus Christ deposited in your life. The message of the cross, the message of Christ, the word of God, God's healing, God's joy, God's love, God's hope, God's blessing in your life. You guard it with everything. Don't squander it. Guard the blessing. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day, till we meet him, what has been entrusted to me. So God will guard that. Follow the pattern. Here's he's telling us how to do it. Follow the pattern of sound doctrine that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Tell it to him twice. Begging with him. Pleading with him. Timothy, this is too valuable. It's too priceless. You've got gold in you, and that's the gold of Christ. Don't squander it. Don't replace it for bronze. So, very quickly, Paul can come back and begin to play. Guard the blessing. How? There's three basic things, and you can write these down if you'd like, that Paul tells us that we can guard the gold, protect the blessing, because the blessing is irreplaceable. Number one, he says, know in who you believe. Do you believe in your pastor? Do you believe in a guy on TV? Do you believe in a denomination? Or do you believe in Christ and Christ alone? Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. He gets really mad at the church in Corinth that he started. He says, some of you guys say, well, I follow this pastor. Well, I follow this pastor. Instead, no, no, no. You follow Christ and Christ alone. Do you know who you believe? We can say that we believe in Christ, but our actions may speak differently. Well, I believe in Christ, but I'm trusting in my pocketbook. Well, I believe in Christ, but I'm trusting in medicine. I'm not saying medicine is bad. Well, I, I believe in Christ, but I'm trusting in my education that my career will, will launch. No. I believe in Christ and Christ alone. Secondly, follow Scripture. That's what he means. Follow sound doctrine. How do you guard the deposit, the gold that God gave you? Know who you believe, Christ alone. And you follow Scripture. Study Scripture. Everything that anybody ever says should come from the foundation of Scripture 
alone. Not by what the denomination says or whoever says, but by Scripture alone. And third, I love what he says. I love how he ends that in verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the deposit trusted to you. So thirdly, be full of the Holy Spirit. How do you guard the blessing that God gave you, the gold that God gave you, and you don't squander it because it's irreplaceable? You know who you believe. Follow Scripture and be full of the Holy Spirit. Do those three things. Paul tells him twice. This is how you do it. I'm telling you, this is the answer. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, as we've examined, King Rehoboam was none of these things. His great-grandson, King Jehoshaphat, would follow that in 1 Kings 22. He learned the lesson. Know who you believe. Follow Scripture. Be full of the Holy Spirit. That's how you protect the blessing. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your presence today. We thank you for your truth that is unchanging and uncompromising. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this church, in our lives, in our families. Lord, we thank you for the hope and the joy that only you give. We thank you, Father, for the blessing that you shower down upon us every moment of every day. And, oh, God, help us to never think that the grass is greener on the other side. Help us to never squander the blessing that you gave us, but realize how much you love us. Father, let us always fully appreciate the blessing of what you've given us and never take it for granted, whether that's our spouse, our home, our job, whatever it is, Lord, it's from you. James says in the New Testament that every good gift comes from one source, not our education, our background, our money, but from the Father above. You are a God that only gives good gifts to your children. You say that, Jesus. And Father, those good gifts are worth protecting. You are not the kind of God that gives bronze to us. You're not the kind of God that gives silver. No, no, no. You're a God that the only way you know how to give is giving gold. You give us gold in our relationships. You give us gold in healing us. You give us gold in your love for us. The peace that you give. And God, it is us because we wonder from the cross and the more we wander from the cross, the easier it is to squander. And we surrender. No. Your blessings are irreplaceable. Let us guard them through prayer. Guard them through studying and standing on your truth and not compromising. Guard them through being full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you and we thank you and we're nothing without you. So we continue to pray. If you're here and you would like prayer for anything,